0: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, uh, so I've, I've had uh, the great privilege to be able to um, really connect with your pastors uh, over the last couple of days. And uh, sometimes it takes people coming in from the outside into your context for you to uh, see with fresh eyes or to see what it is that you have. And I, I want to encourage you, you've got something really special here in Pastor Barry and Pastor Sarah and their family. These guys are the real deal. And, uh, and I hope you know that. I hope you honour them. Why don't you honour them this morning? You could clap and honour them <laughs> this morning. <laughs> or, <laughs> or don't. Or don't. <laughs> awesome. Bless you guys. Bless you guys. You're just you're champions. You're, you're absolute legends. And, uh, and what you guys are doing as a church in this place. We've, I've heard a little bit over the last couple of days, but uh, you've got to know that this isn't normal, and you guys are really special, and there's something incredible uh, happening here in Keshead Church in Colchester. It really isn't normal, and, uh, and I just, in, in the middle of worship, uh, I just felt there was, yeah, there was something significant Uh, that was going to come your way. You guys, and and then in the middle of communion, a church of 5,000. Why not a church of 5,000? That's not too big for God. That's not too big a dream for God. And uh, I can totally see it, and I believe you guys are going to do amazing things, already doing amazing things. Yeah? Yeah? Awesome. Where's Io? Io, down the back. Man, just during worship, um, just at the end of worship, I just felt uh, God say that he was going to add weight to you, and um, and it was going to be more, uh, I felt just God say, it's not a weight of personality, Pe- people aren't, it's not just that you're going to have a big personality, and be loud, and whatever, but there's going to be a, a weight of the anointing of God, it's going to go beyond personality, yeah. it's going to be something of substance, it's uh, that's, that's just going to shift something, it's going to break something, in the realm of worship, but just in the realm of your, of your influence uh, in the world, cool, 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 awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hey, I've just got a really simple message for you this morning, and, and I, I wonder if I could have uh, the passage from Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I love this passage. I love this passage because it tells me that actually the issue isn't that it's been a bad year for growing. The issue isn't that it's just been a, a bad year for producing a good harvest. The issue is actually that the harvest is great, but there aren't the people to bring the harvest in, right? And so, so it says this. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers few. a few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. What's really interesting is, is the Greek in this passage, how they've translated send out, in other places in the Bible is translated, this word is translated thrust out, wow. thrust out. I don't know if you've ever been thrust out into something, but it's typically kind of like it's violent and it, it wakes you up. And, and really, you, you only ever get thrust out of something if you're distracted uh, or asleep. So I will thrust out my kids uh, from traffic, you know, because they're distracted from what's going on around them, and we come from a small sleepy town in New Zealand, so traffic is five cars, and so we came to the UK, and we're continually trying to like shepherd them away from the road, and uh, so I'll thrust my kids out of the way of danger, and I'll thrust them out of the house in the morning, because for some reason, it takes two hours. <laughs> to wake up and get dressed. And so so, so they're distracted, so I have to thrust them out. So I found that really interesting when I read this passage, because what if we read it like, therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to thrust out workers? Man, what if it isn't that there aren't enough workers? What if it's just that there, there are too many workers distracted? There are too many Christians, too many disciples who are distracted from the harvest. They've lost sight of what's out there ready to be brought in. And Matthew's saying, actually pray to God that, that people would open their eyes to what is standing around them to the mighty harvest in their city. Wow. The mighty harvest in their city. Yeah, you know, The issue isn't that there aren't enough people who want to meet Jesus. Yeah. That's not the issue. The issue is maybe that God's disciples haven't got their eyes open to what's around them. Yeah. The issue isn't that that there aren't enough people interested in the gospel. You know, people are, like, people are hungry for something. I don't know if you have this sort of thing in the UK, but in Westport, where I'm from, uh, once a year, uh, a New Age festival would book out the, uh, the local cinema complex which was frustrating because it's where we had church. And uh, so for that week, we couldn't be at church because uh, they would book it out for the whole weekend and they'd have a big New Age uh, fair and festival and different stalls and things that people could come to. And uh, one of my things is when I when, when something interests me or annoys me in this case, I, I want to learn as much as I can about what it is. So I go down little rabbit holes. And so I did a little bit of research of what kind of stalls would be at this New Age festival. And came up against this one thing that was all about people being star seeds, which is as weird as it sounds, right? So I'm not gonna preach the star seed gospel uh, to you this morning, but just suffice to say, it's super duper weird, okay? <laughs> super duper weird so I'm researching it and reading it and at the end of like my research a waste of an evening now I've got all this knowledge about star seeds in my head that pushed out something important at the end of my evening researching this wacko thing I just looked up from my computer and thought there's no way Christianity is weirder than this <laughs> right there's no way we're weirder than this but people are queuing up, like they pack out the movie cinema for people to go and hear about this kind of stuff. So I'm like, it's not that Christianity's too weird. Wow. Maybe it's just that, 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 that disciples, me included, sometimes have our eyes closed or we're distracted from the mission of God around us. Come on, to bring in the harvest that God wants to bring in. This passage tells me that actually maybe there are enough workers, but there aren't enough workers who can see the harvest. And so our prayer isn't that we would grow the church to have enough volunteers to do what God's called us to do. Our prayer is that actually the people we have would would open our eyes and go out and make a difference. You know what? I reckon this church is big enough to change Colchester already. You want it to be bigger, because when it's bigger, it means that you're impacting and influencing and reaching the harvest. Yeah. But right now, there's enough people in this room to dramatically change the city. Yeah. Amen. I believe it. I believe it. I reckon you guys are significant. I reckon you're going to do something awesome. On, See, here's the thing. Jesus was passionate about the harvest, He was passionate about the people still standing out in the field, the people who didn't know the good news of him. And so, in fact, in in his three and a half years of ministry, he spends most of his time with scandalous people in scandalous situations. And so I want to look at one example of that this morning in Luke uh, chapter 19, starting in verse 2. It's the story of Zacchaeus goes like this, he, he talking about Jesus. He entered Jericho and he was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Right at the start of this story, Luke is wanting to be real clear to whoever's reading that Zacchaeus is the bad guy, okay? So there was a man named Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. No one throughout the course of history has ever liked tax collectors, okay? It's like the universal, right? No one likes it. This dude wasn't just a tax collector, but the boss of tax collectors. So already we hate him, right? Already we hate him. But then it goes on and says, and he was rich. He didn't get rich because he got great end, end year bonuses, okay? He didn't just have an awesome salary package. He got rich because if someone owed a hundred gold coins, he would take 120 and he would pocket 20 gold coins. That's how he got rich. So at the start of this story, Luke's like, "We just, I want to make it real clear, Zacchaeus is the bad guy, right at the start. Yeah. Okay, So he's a tax collector, not just a tax collector, the boss of tax collectors, not just that, but the dude was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small in stature and I, I just love... I just find that funny. <laughs> just think that's great. But Pastor Barry took me out for a coffee this morning in, like, a cafe for ants. And so, well, like, how short was everyone when they built your buildings, man?
1: <laughs>
0: <I was> so, <laughs> so, side uh, tangent. So, um... Just, we'll take a pause from Zacchaeus for a second. But, so we came over for Axe Conference, came from Denmark. It was a Viking invasion. And, uh, and so uh, 40 of us uh, landed in the UK and went out for dinner uh, that night in a, in, a, in a traditional English pub. And it was like, ah, I see, I see how you repelled the Vikings. Your buildings were just too small <laughs> for them to fit. <laughs> Clever. But on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small in stature. Oh. So, he, so he ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Just, get a, just so the picture, just so far in this story. Luke's like the bad dude, right? Bad dude, the boss of tax collectors, the rich dude. Okay, he hears that Jesus is coming to town and so he he wants to see him and he knows that he can't because of the crowd, so he runs up a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. And when's the last time me or you we, we prepared, we were prepared to humiliate ourselves just to get a glimpse? Of Jesus, just to just to see him as he went by. We were prepared to inconvenience ourselves just to get in the presence of God. I love. Uh, I met, uh, Sorry, I don't know your name, bro. No. Noah, man. Noah. Oh, was that your dad doing communion? No, cool. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. Like that.
0: Would, like imagine if I was trying to give a word of knowledge right there. That would have been embarrassing. <laughs> um, Anyway, so I met Noah at Brave Age, and so I was at Brave Age for like, for like one night, their final night, and it was just this extraordinary environment of a bunch of kids getting together in the room, raucous praise, raucous worship, hungry kids desperate to get in the presence of God have a touch from him, to encounter like just the supernatural working, the charismatic working of the Holy Spirit, to see kids released and speaking in tongues, to see kids healed. It's like some German kids got on, a, got on a bus and drove 19 hours to get in the room for what God was doing. That's what running up a sycamore tree looks like. And it's not, it's not just for the young generation. Well, when was the last time you, 30 years old, me, 30 years old, 40, 50, 60, were prepared to throw off dignity, to throw off a, a sense of, you know, wanting to, like, maintain your standing and your respect and your, your status to just get a glimpse of Jesus. Something will change in your life when you're prepared to take off the self-regard, this concern for our, our reputation. On account of the crowd, he couldn't, small in stature, he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your place today. I love this. If you've grown up in church or or been around church for any length of time, you might have heard the saying, you know, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He'll never force himself. Jesus apparently is not. (laughs) Okay, the Holy Spirit might be, but Jesus isn't. He's walking along, sees Zacchaeus up a tree and says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm having lunch at your house today. He didn't wait for Zacchaeus to invite him. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, could I come to your house? He said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm eating at your place today. And Zacchaeus up a tree like, oh, okay. Right, so he, he rushes down. He hurried and came down and, and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, ooh, they grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Man. And Jesus, uh, as stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. I love this story. I love this story. I think there are some key points in this story that's going to break it apart and and, and really open it up for us. The first thing we have to understand is that Zacchaeus is a tax collector. His job was to collect money for Rome and also to collect uh, money for the priests in the temple to take the temple tax. He would collect the money and and, uh, and, uh, not translate. What's the word? Exchange? What's the word when you... Yeah, like, so he would exchange it for uh, Jewish coins. Because here's the thing, if, you, if you're a priest in the temple, you can't handle Roman money. Because on Roman coins, there's, a, there's an image of the emperor. And Jews understood that they couldn't touch anything that had an image of someone else on it because it would be equivalent to idolatry. And so the priests were stuck. They wanted money. uh, They wanted the cash, but they couldn't take Roman money, so they had to have someone who would stand in between and translate the money from Roman coins to Jewish coins so that they could get their money, which was very important for them at the time. And so they would employ people who would do this. The problem is that if they employed a Jewish person, Zacchaeus is Jewish, then that person who spends his whole day, his whole life handling Roman money uh, makes himself unclean so he, he spends his whole life handling idolatrous coins and he becomes unclean, which means that he couldn't go to synagogue. He couldn't go to, to temple to worship, couldn't go to synagogue to hear the word of God. If he was married and had kids and his wife and his kids wanted to maintain their, their status of being clean, they couldn't even touch him. If he's walking down the street and people recognize him, they would cross the road just to make sure they didn't accidentally bump into him. And by touching him, become unclean themselves. And so Zacchaeus lives in this position where he might have status and he might be rich, but actually he's really poor. And, and, and he lives in this bubble where, where he can't touch others. They can't touch him. He can't participate in the life of worship. He can't participate in the life of the word. And he's just on his own. And so Zacchaeus comes by. Now uh, Jesus comes by, sees him and says, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. You know why I love this? is because Zacchaeus would never have thought to invite Jesus. Zacchaeus knew that he was unclean. Zacchaeus knew that, that he could have nothing to do with holiness. He couldn't go anywhere to worship. He couldn't. He certainly couldn't touch anybody. And he, I don't know when the last time anyone would have come to his house for lunch would have been. And so he sees Jesus come by. His whole goal, his whole dream is just that he would get a glimpse of the man of God. And instead he stops underneath him where he is in the tree. And he looks up at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, you have to come down because I'm eating at your house today. You know why I think that's great? Is because when I'm in my worst moment of shame... My worst moment of guilt, my moment where I'm most aware of my brokenness and where I fall short and where I lack and where I cut myself off from God and cut myself off from other people. The last thing I think about doing is reaching out to God. But the great thing about this story is it tells me the first thing God does when he sees me is reach out to me and tell me that he wants to come to my place to eat lunch with me. So Zacchaeus, in his place of brokenness, never thought he could reach out to Jesus, never thought that he could invite Jesus to his house. And so instead, Jesus invites himself around. Man, Jesus is rude. (laughs) Jesus has, like... Low social awareness. Jesus just knows that he's on mission. He has a vision and a dream to see lost people saved, distant people brought in close. And so when he sees Zacchaeus, he just invites himself around. So he hurried down. I love it. It says this. He hurried down. Zacchaeus hurried down and received Jesus joyfully. 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 You know uh, the response to the presence of God is joy. Zacchaeus didn't throw ash on his head and and and, and rip his clothes and put on a put on sackcloth and uh, and and whip himself and grovel down on the the dirt of his floor and say, Jesus, I'm a worm in your presence. I'm not worthy for you to be in my house. I'm sorry. It just says that he received him joyfully. You know, the lie the devil tells us when you mess up, when you stuff up, when you wander away, when you're distant, when you're far from God, is that you're not worth being in his presence. And you've got to, you've got to really grovel, you've got to really come in low, you've got to really apologize super good uh, before God would want to be in your presence. That's not what I see when I read this story. Just yeah. says that Zacchaeus received him joyfully. In fact, Luke loves to paint joy as the response to what God's doing in his gospel. Just quickly, a, a couple of examples in Luke chapter 1, verse 41 to 44. And when Elizabeth Elizabeth even heard the greeting of Mary, this is Elizabeth. She had John, uh, Mary, uh, Jesus, and uh, they were cousins. And so uh, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, Spirit And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Even even unborn, even as a baby, people's response to Jesus was joy. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 18, the... The 72 returned with joy. Jesus gathers together his followers, the 72 uh, disciples that were with him, and, and he, he packs them a lunch, and he sends them on their way and says, hey, I want you to go into, go into these towns and spread the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons, do all that great stuff. Didn't give them like a, a three-week boot camp beforehand. Just said, here, go. Just do the, do the work of the kingdom. Spread the good news about me. Heal people. Make them, uh, yeah, yeah, heal people, cast out demons, restore wholeness to people's households. And they returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. There's joy in, in the midst of what God is doing. Luke chapter 15. Actually, all throughout Luke chapter 15, but here in verse 10, just so. I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner, who repents? Come on, there's joy in the presence of God. Luke chapter 24, while he blessed them, he parted from them, and he was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. So when Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, his response is joy. And somewhere along the way, Christians... We're our own worst enemy. And, and we lost the idea that to be in the presence of God was joy. Whether you felt like you were good enough to be in the presence of God or whether you just had the worst week ever, there's joy in the presence of God. That's why we can come on a Sunday and it doesn't matter what your week's been like. It doesn't matter what your morning's been like. You might You might have yelled at your kids. You might have pulled out of your house, cussed all the drivers who were cutting you off all the way to get to church, couldn't find a car park, so you're grumpy. You can still come into church and experience joy in the presence of God. So church should be a place of joy. Church should be a place of just raucous music. I love the kids up the front dancing. Man, kids will, kids will teach older people how to be in the presence of God. And if you're too cool to dance in church, man, heaven's going to suck for you.
1: It's
0: just going to suck, because let me tell you, like, the predominant sense, the predominant emotion, the predominant thing in heaven is joy, because we're, it's fully in the presence of God, and church is where we practice for heaven. Church is where God trains us to reign and rule with Him. That's why this is, it's not, oh man, it's not an option to come to church. I, I, I like, not being legalistic or rule-bound about it. It's just like, this is where God's training you for eternity. So don't skip out on class. It's not a duty. It's not an obligation. It's where you encounter joy in the presence of God, whether you feel like you deserve it or not. So Zacchaeus encounters God, his response is joy. His response is joy. And I want to tell you this morning that you and I have the power to unlock joy in your family, to unlock joy in your team, to unlock joy in your workplace, in your friend circle, in your school, when we plug into the presence of God. Here's the thing. It says that, that when Zacchaeus received Jesus, he received him joyfully. And then the next verse, verse 7, just says, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. When they saw. it that they are the Pharisees, that they in this story are actually the good people. So Zacchaeus, you got to remember, he's the bad guy in the story. Luke's trying his best to really paint him out to be the bad guy. And here's the thing, they're surrounded by a bunch of people watching what was happening. These are the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests who all followed Jesus around hoping to catch him out and trip him up on something because they didn't like what he was doing. But, but these were the religious people. These guys went to church every week. These guys tied faithfully. These guys were the, the gatekeepers for what God uh, for, for for who could come into the presence of God. These were the righteous, good people, and they stand around and they see Jesus go into the house of a sinner. Not just a sinner, but someone who was ritually unclean, who, t- who really shouldn't have anyone around to lunch. And, and Jesus goes into his house, sits down, and eats with the man. And they stand around outside, outside, looking in through the windows. Like, how awkward would that lunch have been? <laughs> like, have you ever been to a restaurant and just people are, like, watching you eat? Like, grumpy as well, like, they're mad at you eating. You're trying to just enjoy your steak. And it's hard. And so they're standing outside grumbling. Man, do you see who he's gone to have dinner with? Do you see who Jesus is eating with? They grumbled. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, I don't know about that. Come on, they, they, they didn't like Zacchaeus. They, in fact, they probably hated Zacchaeus they hated him because he was unclean. They hated him because he had, he had made a life, a living out of stealing from the Jewish people uh, for the Romans. And, and so when the righteous religious people saw who Jesus hung out with, they grumbled. And we, we wouldn't be like that now, of course. And did you see what they wore to church? And I saw them out last night. I saw what they were doing at the club. And they think they can just come into church. I saw them pull in this morning, and I I can read lips, and let me tell you, they weren't saying God bless you to that other driver. (laughs) And here they are, arms lifted high in worship. Don't make yourself the gatekeeper of who can come into the presence of God. Because frankly, you're not good enough to do that. (laughs) Don't don't make yourself the gatekeeper. Don't be in this story. Don't be the ones who stand off to the side grumbling about who Jesus is hanging out with and what he's doing. Man, I'm so, I was so encouraged just spending time and hearing what, what this church is involved in, in this community. Your coffee shop by the art gallery. Like, it's just incredible. Just incredible. What does it look like if those people come to church? Man, come on. Oh, I don't know. Don't don't be a gatekeeper. Don't be a gatekeeper for who can come into the presence of God. Don't stand off to the side and grumble about who it is that Jesus is hanging out with and, and who it is that he's spending his time with. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't care about the scandal. He cared about the scandalous people. And so often I think we get so tied up and caught up and, man, it would be scandalous if I hung out with that person. Yeah, well, that's probably who Jesus is hanging out with right now. Jesus cared about the scandalous people. And so he would, he would make it his mission. He would make a point that he surrounded himself by people who otherwise couldn't find a home, couldn't find a sense of belonging anywhere. Here's the thing. How we celebrate others says a lot about how we see God celebrating us. That's why, as Christians, we need to be great about celebrating what God is doing in other people's lives. Power of testimony is amazing. How we celebrate others says a lot about how we see God celebrating us. See, that that was the issue with the older brother and the story of the parable. Ah, the parable. The parable of the prodigal. I'm getting tripping up this morning. The parable of the prodigal, if you know the story, a man had two sons and his his youngest son comes to him and says, Dad, I want my inheritance. Which is, which is basically his way of saying, Dad, I, w- I wish you were dead now so that I could have what was coming to me when you die. So either hurry up and die, or could I please have my, my half of the share of everything now? And, and so Jesus is telling this story in Luke chapter 15, and he's surrounded by, again, a bunch of religious people who, uh, who, who had high status and standing, and, and they would have expected that this would be a very short story that ended something like, and then the man killed his son for disrespecting him. The end. Like, hear what the spirit is saying to the church. Amen. <laughs> I grew up, grew up Anglican. And um, anyway, uh, so, so instead the, the youngest son comes to the father and says, Dad, I want my half of the inheritance now. And instead of killing him, his dad gives him half of everything and says, Here you go, son. And the son runs off, if you know the story, he spends it wildly, he goes to Vegas, he gambles it away, he spends it on Wild Woman, and he wakes up one morning in the gutter, just surrounded by what you'd expect to be surrounded by, and he's looking around at his situation going like, you idiot, like even servants, even slaves in my father's house have it better than I have it right now, and I need to suck up my pride, I need to put my big boy pants on, and I need to go home to dad, even if it's just as a servant. And so he makes up this whole speech, you know, oh, Dad, I've sinned against you and against God, and, oh, but, you know, like, servants have it better, so just take me back as a slave, it'll be fine. And, uh, and so, so he gets on the road, and he starts back towards his dad, and, and the story says, it picks up, it says, when, it, when the father saw him coming, he ran towards him which tells me that the father didn't take half of his inheritance, didn't liquidate his assets and take half of that cash and give it to his son and then go down the pub and drown his sorrows or, or, or sit back on, like, the one chair he had left and, uh, and just kind of watch half of a TV. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, like, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't then just move on with his life, right? That tells me that the father sent the son on his way and then just stood there waiting, looking down the road, waiting for him to come home. And then when he sees him coming home, ah, he's excited. Yeah. He has joy. Yeah. And it says that he, he runs towards him. And it would be unheard of for a grown man of, of, of wealth and high standing to run in this culture. And it just says, you know, he hitches up his robe, <laughs> gets his sandals on, and he just sprints down the road towards his son. Yeah. And, and and the people watching might have expected, yeah, yeah. And when he gets here, he's just going to whoops. Slap him good. But he doesn't. He runs down towards him, and when he gets to him, he just grabs him up in this big hug, and he welcomes him home. And the son's like, "You know, I've sinned against you and against God, and uh, and 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 take me back." And, And and but the the father cuts him off before he gets to the point where he says, "I'm I'm only worthy to be a slave in your house." He cuts him off, and and he brings out a robe. I don't know whether he carried it with him on the road, like he's just been waiting this whole time with a big robe as well. And so he takes a robe and he puts it on him, and he takes a ring and he puts it on his finger, and he grabs some sandals and puts them on his feet that would have been gross and like after like whatever the kid had been up to and like puts the sandals on his feet welcomes him in and then takes him back to the house where he shouts out to a servant and says hey get the get the fatted calf the one that we'd been preparing for later we're gonna we're gonna kill it now we're gonna have a feast because my son who was dead is now alive he was lost and is found and we're gonna celebrate by all rights, this kid should be dead, or at least not at home. But the father, in response to a wayward son coming home, celebrates. Doesn't deserve any more. He got half of everything and he wasted it. Doesn't deserve a feast. Doesn't deserve a robe. Doesn't deserve the ring. The ring would have been like the credit card of the family. He could put his stamp on anything and get it. It would just be charged back to his dad. And his dad trusts him with sonship again. Welcomes him home and celebrates him and and the Bible says that the older son, man, I forgot there was an older son, The story's so good. I reckon the story's about the older son. Yeah. You know why I reckon it's about, well, it's certainly about the older son for me, because I grew up and the younger son was the biggest part of the story. And I thought, man, man the best testimony is the one where, you know, you grow up in the father's house, you run away, you sin, you... Get real, you know, like whatever. Your life goes off the rails and you come back to God. That's a powerful testimony. And they were all the powerful testimonies I heard growing up. People had these great stories of total transformation just in the presence of God. They were doing drugs. They were drinking. They were out stealing and doing all kinds of stuff. And then they encountered Jesus and stopped swearing and stopped smoking and stopped drinking. And they're certainly very holy now. And they were the great testimonies. I thought, man, that's what what a powerful encounter with Jesus looks like. I've grown up, and I've realised that actually I'm not the youngest son in this story. I'm the oldest son. I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, I was I was well loved uh, in in my upbringing. I didn't really have anything to worry about. And uh, and then and so I realised I've got a okay. So I'm the oldest son in the story. So what happens to the oldest son? The oldest son he has a celebration going on, and he's out working in the field. And so he comes home, and he's like, "What's all the?" What's the hubbub? Like, what's going on? Well, he asks the servant, he pulls him aside, what's happening? And the servant says, your your brother who was lost is back home and, and your father's throwing a party for him. And he loses his mind. He's furious and he pulls his dad aside and he says, what is this? This son who took half of everything, who robbed you blind, went and wasted it in wasteful living. And now he's back groveling and you're throwing a party? What is that about? I've slaved for you for years and you've never given me so much as a goat. (laughs) I happen to like goats, so that wouldn't be too bad. You haven't given me so much as a goat for me and my friends to have a good time. And the father's like, you idiot. He doesn't say that. It's my paraphrase. It's what I think he's thinking. He's probably a lot more gentle than that. He's like, don't you, like, you're my son. What I have is yours. You could have had anything you wanted. This whole place is yours. You just didn't lay a hold of it. You didn't uh, make the most of your authority. You could have had parties all day if you wanted. And then that's where the story ends. It's like, well, did he go into the party? Or did he not go into the party? And like Jesus is really good at telling a story. And that's why I think this parable is about the oldest son. Because then we get to the end of the story and it's suddenly on me. Am I going into the party Or am I going to stand out here feeling grumpy that the church is investing so much time, so much resources and visitors that suddenly I don't feel like I'm getting fed anymore and and the sermons are focused too low and I really want the meat. And man, we're doing all this outreach stuff, but why aren't they catering for me anymore? And the music is loud and it's it's weird and there's like drops in the middle where it's just techno and what am I meant to do? Like bop and why can't we just sing hymns anymore? Here's why, because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about my preference. It's about that the younger son would find a place to come home to. Yeah. You see, here's the thing. The, the older son missed his responsibility. The crowd in the story of Zacchaeus missed their responsibility. They had one job, and that job was to create an atmosphere and an environment for younger sons to come home. And instead, they made the house all about them. Getting excited this morning. <laughs> they had one job: create an environment for younger sons to come home. Create an environment for younger sons to come home. But here's the thing: when the people saw who Jesus was eating with, they grumbled. They became the gatekeeper. He's gone in to eat with the sinner. That's a derogatory term, basically like calling him a dog. They went in to eat with, he went in to eat with a dog. And so all of this is taking place and it says this. What does it say? Let me find it. When they saw it, they grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And and Zacchaeus, I imagine, hears this and he stands and he says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And so his response to Jesus coming to his house for dinner was joy. And joy gets outworked in generosity. Yeah. So he encounters Jesus, it provokes joy in him maybe for the first time in 10 years, I don't know, that joy rises up in him. And his response to the feeling of joy is generosity and repentance. Generosity flows from joyful people. You you have not met a joyful, stingy person in your life, have you? You've, you've met plenty of people who are joyful and who are free with their resources, and you've met plenty of bitter people who are very tight and very stingy. The two go hand in hand. If you encounter God and it results in joy, the natural expression of joy is generosity. Yeah. And so Zacchaeus stands up, and generosity flows from him. Behold, Lord, the, the half of everything I have I give to the poor. And then he's like, and if I've defrauded anyone anything. Well, you, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You have. Uh, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So he's like, I will pay back what I've taken, more than enough, and then half of everything I have, I'll just give it away. Okay? Jesus doesn't ask him to do that. In fact, Jesus doesn't say anything to Zacchaeus up to this point. He come, he, well, he says, I'm coming to your house for dinner. And then he has dinner. And then Zacchaeus speaks. So what Jesus doesn't do is when he gets to the the threshold of Zacchaeus' house, he doesn't say, man, I am so hungry and looking forward to lunch. So before we get to that, if we could just sort out one or two things before we go in the house and eat together, that'd be awesome. So if we could sort out your stealing, uh, if we could just put a a stop to stealing, that'd be wonderful. (laughs) And and also if we could just, you know, all your... Everything you've gotten, like ill begotten gains, uh, if we could go ahead and just give that to charity, that'd be swell. Um, just basically sort your life out and uh, be a generally nicer person. Stop handling the idolatrous coins uh, and um, that'd, be, that'd be super. And uh, if we can just, if we can knock those four things off, I am coming in for lunch. He doesn't say that. He comes in, he sits down, puts no expectations on Zacchaeus at all. Man, you don't have to dress a certain way to come to church. You might come to church, and then immediately following the service, you pop out for a smoke. You might have a smoke before you come in, and then have a smoke afterwards. Like, you don't, you don't, there's, man, come on, there's no, there's, There should be nothing that trips us up to the gospel except Jesus. He's the only stumbling block. He's the only thing that will get in the way for someone experiencing grace is if they can't deal with the love and goodness and acceptance of Jesus. Everything else we get rid of. Everything else. There's no gatekeeper to the house. Jesus goes in. He eats with Zacchaeus. He sits down at the table with him and has lunch. Zacchaeus' response, joy and generosity And these people are grumbling, and they hear this, and then it says, that. and Jesus said to him, Jesus stands up after Zacchaeus has said his peace, and he says, today salvation has come to this house since, oh man, this is interesting, right? It says, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he, but he should have said you. If he's talking to Zacchaeus, he should have said, since you are a son of Abraham. But he stands up in, in the midst of this crowd of people watching the most awkward lunch in all of history, and he and there's this crowd of people grumbling that Jesus has gone in here. And Jesus stands up, says to Zacchaeus, but speaks to the crowd. Wow. Today, salvation has come to this house since he also. As the son of Abraham. He says it to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus needs to know that in this moment, he's accepted, he has a place to belong. He's part of the family where he felt separated and removed and unable to fellowship with anyone. Jesus says, no, you are part of my family. And he says it to Zacchaeus, but he says it so everyone else can hear, this is what Jesus is about. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus isn't just a friend to sinners. I want to tell you this morning that he is only a friend to sinners. Come on, that is good news for you, it's good news for me, because you and I, we're messed up, we're broken, we're full short, we're sinners, there's stuff in our life that we haven't dealt with yet, and God hasn't broken chains over yet, and we're still wrestling with and struggling with, and it can make us feel like we're separated and don't belong to anything. The word of God to you this morning is you are part of the family. You belong. You're at home. You are welcomed in. It's good news. Jesus is only a friend to sinners. He's only a friend to sinners. Stop trying to pretend like you have it all together. I want to be a friend of God. I want to be a friend of Jesus. If I'm going to be his friend, I should I should be like the people he likes to hang out with. And, and it's people like Zacchaeus. You know what changed Zacchaeus? It wasn't personal devotion. It wasn't religious duty and deeds. It wasn't even a sermon from Jesus. What changed Zacchaeus was an encounter with a person. Yeah. It was an encounter with a person. It was a, it was a few moments in the presence of God in the flesh where he became welcomed, accepted, and like he had a home. Come on. Come on. It's, it's not five steps. To acceptance, there's not five steps to transformation. There's a moment in the presence of God, Amen. and it'll change your life. Amen. You don't need to have a shower before you have a bath with God. You don't need to clean yourself up before you can come into the presence of Jesus. He will take you as you come. And so remember, the the harvest is plentiful. It's been a it's been a good year. There are people who are hungry to encounter the gospel of God. We want to have our eyes open. Why? Because we do what Jesus does. We do what Jesus does. Jesus is the most complete revelation we have of the heart of God. Uh, He left everything to pursue you. And so the church is the hands and feet of Jesus on earth. And our job is to mirror the heart of God. And so everything we do is for the one person who's far away, the one person who's far off, who's distant, who, who might even hate God. Everything we do as a church is focused on and centered around that person coming home. Come on, older sons. Your job is to create an atmosphere for younger sons to come home. James chapter five. <clears throat> James chapter five. It's real quick. This is, we're going to land. We're going to land the plane. James chapter five. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. Get this. James is he's writing a letter to a church. It's five chapters long. it's not even that long. And, and so James, if you've ever read the book of James, it's real dad language, right? It's like, it's like a father sitting down with his sons and just like, we're going to give you some practical stuff of how to live life well as a follower of Jesus. And so he sits him down and he writes this letter about how to live well as a follower of Jesus, and it's five chapters. So at the end of chapter five, this is how he finishes it. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Full stop, folds it up, chucks it in an envelope, postage stamp, takes it down the post office. No goodbye, no love James, no send my regards to, no I can't wait to see you later, and, and uh, it's been such a joy to be with you the last time, that's how he ends his letter, it's like that is the most abrupt end, you know you've been to some sermons and it's like they just, they just end, <laughs> you know like someone didn't think out the ending, they were just like and I'm done, and <laughs> it's like the most abrupt end to a letter ever. And so this is his opportunity to give dad language, uh, to give some practical ways of how to live. And, And so he gets to the end of the chapter, and he's like, the most important thing I could leave you with is when someone wanders away, chase after them. When someone wanders away, go run after them. Don't let people get away easy from the grace of God. Don't, don't, don't make the exit an easy door to find from relationship with Jesus. When you notice that someone hasn't been around, chase after them. Be that person texting. Because no one, no one who's trying to sidestep out of church uh, likes to be contacted a lot. You know, they're trying to sneak out quiet. And so, but, but when you're just like, hey, I missed you. <laughs> like, I uh, haven't seen you in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. I mean, you know, hey, w- you want to catch a coffee? Or you turn up to their place of work and you just happen to have like two takeaway. Oh, I didn't expect to see you here. <laughs> hey, Why don't we sit down and have a chat? You don't live anywhere near where I work. I oh, know, crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> weird. <laughs> uh, go, go, go chase after them. Run after them. Go find the wanderers. Bring them back. Why? Because you would literally be a lifesaver. You would save someone's life. And why does James, why does, why does he end his letter like this? I, I reckon it's the most important thing for James in this letter. And I think he does it is, is because it's what Jesus did for you and me. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while there was still a a chasm between us and God, Jesus ran after us. He pursued us. He made a way for me and you to to be made right and be put back into relationship with our Father, to, to find our place to belong. Jesus is the ultimate older brother who makes the right choice and creates an environment and a space for younger sons to come home. And James is like, you've got to get it. This is the heart of Jesus. James was Jesus's brother. Half brother, I guess. Because of the, yeah. So, so I'm just try, trying to facilitate this Holy Spirit moment and I just make dumb jokes, right? So come back, Holy Spirit. Um, James is, yeah, so he's the brother of Jesus. He's like, do you want to know the heart of my brother? It's that, it's that he would create space for people who are distant from God to come home. And so, and so when people slip away, when people wander from truth and you bring them back, you've got to know that you bring back a sinner and you save his soul from death and you cover a multitude of sins. Jesus did it for you. He did it for me. And so our job now is to pick up the mantle and be signposts to him. You know, you, you can pray and pray and pray for revival, and, and I hope you do. But Jesus has already bridged the gap between broken humanity and God. And now He's asking me and you to be the people that are, that are signposts back to Him. It's our job. Come on, don't you see the fields are ripe for harvest? Pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would send out people into the field to reap a harvest. Come on, wake up. Wake up. Disciples of Jesus, wake up. Have your eyes open. Refuse to be distracted from what's going on around you. See the harvest. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? Would you see the harvest? Come on, there's, there's a city of people right outside these doors, desperate. For the truth of the good news of Jesus, you know there are there are enough Christians spreading bad news about God, painting a bad picture of what Jesus is like, that, that he's angry. And you need you better pray a prayer, otherwise, I hope you like it warm. And I just, I'm not I'm not going to get into that, but I, it's. I don't see that in Jesus, in the Gospels. I felt like this morning, God wanted to just release a special anointing, I almost I want to say of evangelism, but not like evangelism with all the baggage that might carry, that might entail for you. It's just the, the, the kind of evangelism of Jesus Where you are an environment where people who are far from home, far from God, they love to be around you. They love the grace and the goodness that you carry. They they love the, you might be the only Bible, you might be the only Jesus people meet. And when they're around you, they just, there's something. They want to know more because people are hungry for truth, they're hungry for healing. People are hurt and broken and we're an Instagram, Facebook generation so we know how to hide it and present a great facade but inside, underneath it, I guarantee you people carry a weight and a burden and a pain and they're desperate for a Jesus to heal them. They're desperate for the gospel of the good news of Jesus. And so I reckon God wants to release just an anointing my time is up. Just a, an anointing of evangelism that's normal and natural, yeah. that you would just feel the, the, the confidence in Him. Here's the thing. If you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you've encountered Him, so your life, the default level of your life is joy. And people love to be around joyful people. Yeah. And I believe the default level of this church is joy. And so if you could just get people in the room, they would encounter something of God. And so I, I. why don't you just, if you just raise your hands this morning, and that's you, you, you want to receive, you just want to receive just an extra anointing that, that would be just a natural flow of evangelism. Uh, evangelism just means like the good news, sharing the good news, that you would just be a person of, good news in your workplace in your school people would know you as a force of positivity as a force of hope as as a person that anyone would feel safe with and at home with and that that they could be around you and experience joy come on would you just begin to just speak out just speak out in tongues just connect with God I believe he wants to anoint something holy Spirit Kia, ra, ba, 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 ba. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. God, in this house, I just feel your presence full. Kesed Church, That's great. Glory of your presence, God. I feel the presence of Jesus in this place. God, right now that you would just anoint, a fresh anointing, a fresh anointing, a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God, that there would be a confidence that rises up, that people who had forgotten the joy of an encounter with God, right now in this moment, fresh joy is welling up. Fresh joy is welling up. That in this room, generous people, generous with our finances, generous with our resources, generous with our time, generous with with, uh, just with our joy, Uh, is being released in this room that, that Lord you are releasing fresh joy which releases fresh generosity that this church would be known as a generous church God that your name would be made famous in this city in Jesus name
1: thank you Jesus let's just embrace this moment church I just want to lead a couple of prayers. If we can just close our eyes and give Jesus our full attention. You see, a message like that requires a response. And he, he, here's one response that you might want to say, that's me. Jesus' last thoughts for us was Go. I'm sending you. And we know that, but I wonder how many of us live like that. Maybe today's a day where you feel like, come on, I'm stepping my game up. I want to be the Jesus that people encounter. Jesus in me. I want people to encounter Jesus in me. I want to play my part in populating church and seeing people set free from their stuff because of an encounter with the Jesus in me. Could I be more open with who I really am? Could I be more vocal, more bold? Could I get past myself? To be that person in James 5 who brings someone in. If that's you today and say, yeah, come on, I want to up my game. I want today to be a new beginning in in my uh, expression of evangelism. I just want you to raise your hand because we're going to pray an anointing on you. Come on, so good, so many people. That's awesome. Come on. Let's play our part. Let's let's let encounter Jesus because of you. Lord God, you see the hands, you see the hearts. I just right now declare declare a fresh anointing over these people, an evangelistic anointing, a fresh boldness. Lord, that you'd allow us and help us to communicate Jesus well, an authentic Jesus, an all-accepting Jesus. Lord, and we don't confuse that with accepting poor behavior. We accept the people and we allow you, Holy Spirit, to address the behavior. It's not our job. But thank you, Lord God, in advance for the harvest these people are going to bring in. People who you love. Lord, give us your heart for people. Let us look at people through your eyes. And feel something stir in our heart for them that causes us to step in, speak up, and be an expression of you to them, Lord God. Be released, church, in Jesus' name.